0: I am not ashamed of the gospel. The good news, the good news is this. It is the power of God to save those who believe. That's the good news. We might not be ashamed in the great name of our God. There is no other salvation salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, as we um, transition from that amazing Reminder by song of the power of the name of God, the high tower, the shelter. There is no salvation outside of God. Father, I pray tonight that you would um, um, connect our hearts with the reality of the filling of the Spirit and what that means in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we might take advantage of the features, all the features of God that are available to us through his Spirit that lives in us that we might be people who are changed and empowered, people who are filled with the Spirit of God and know the will of God and, and um, obey him. I pray, Father, all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, before we look at our um, study tonight, I want to craft the, the uh, perfect Valentine's Day weekend for you just in case you don't have any ideas. Friday night, ladies, buy tickets to the Oshawa Generals game. Take your husband to that game. Dwayne Francois has lots of tickets. Come on, listen, hear me out. See, this is the problem with ladies. They never want a fair deal. Valentine's has got to be all about them. All right? Maybe this is not a good way to start preaching tonight. (laughs) Listen, hear me out. Friday night, okay, the hockey game. That's for the guys. Saturday night, some schmaltzy kind of thing the guys can do for the ladies. And then, you know, I, well, take them out to dinner, buy them a box of chocolates. It's all about the food, guys. And then on Sunday, on Sunday night, we have a feature film here called Fireproof. I can't, I can't envision a more amazing Valentine's Day weekend than that, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's all set up for you. See? Pastor Dwayne, after the service ladies, he's got tickets, $12, Oshawa Generals, nice restaurant Saturday night, right here Sunday night, that, that is the perfect Valentine's Day weekend. All right. What I want to do with you tonight is I want to take um, uh, some time and just look at uh, if time permits, about four different practical areas in our lives where filling with with the Holy Spirit has a a, a direct effect and and benefit in in how our lives unfold. And um, I want to start by um, sharing a couple of quotes from Richard Foster's book, Streams of Living Water. He defines filling of the Spirit this way in terms of the holiness of God and the holiness in our lives. The ultimate goal of the Christian life, an even deeper formation of the inner personality so as to reflect the glory and goodness of God, an ever more radiant conformity to the life and faith and desires and habits of Jesus, an utter transformation of our creatureliness into whole and perfect sons and daughters of God. You see, the goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. God is intent upon making you and making me into a dazzling, now he's quoting C.S. Lewis, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. Isn't that good? And then C.S. Lewis says this, "...the goal towards which God is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection." And no power in the whole universe except you yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. Well, I want to look with you tonight, first of all, at the um, filling of the Holy Spirit and its relationship to transformation or change. Um, Essence change. Uh, Not just behavioral change, but we actually are changing. We are becoming different people and the filling of the spirit has a direct relationship to that whole transformation reality it's to move you from uh, to move you to a place where holy habits become the inner affection of your life whereby you're actually becoming a new creation if, if please turn your bibles to second corinthians chapter 4 i want to um, Point out a few things in that particular section of Scripture with respect to this whole transformation reality. In fact, it all, it, it really, there's a connection or a, a, a nexus with uh, chapter 3, the last verse. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A- and then He. And then skipping down to uh, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed The point that that is being made here in this whole new creation kind of language where God says, let light shine in the darkness, and then points out that that, um, it's not about us because all of this is being contained in the cracked pots who we are, and and, and as all of the challenges of life come our way, uh, and, and God is changing us, the only explanation and the only boasting that we can do is in God himself because he makes all of this and accomplishes all of this. And so it's about transformation. It's about changing. This is not about a disciplined life being filled with the Spirit. Is not about a disciplined life whereby, by my own strength, I am developing good habits. That's why Paul points back and says, "No, we we aren't. We're 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 treasure treasure in jars of clay. We're 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 not. uh, It's not about us and and our strength. It's all." It's all of what Christ is doing in us. Because each of us know um, individuals who are outside of Christ who, to varying degrees, live some pretty decent lives. Um, most of us probably know at least one guy who's really good to his wife but isn't a Christian. And so, is he in fact being transformed? Is, is his life changing? Well, in fact, I would say to you, no, it's not. Um, this is the problem with, with Chris, uh, uh, Chris De Carlo's whole inherent goodness uh, concept, where he proposes that the reason that people are good to varying degrees is because all of us have, uh, by nature, in, an inherent goodness in us. Well, that flies in the face of Scripture, because, because we know that, that every good and perfect gift... Comes from where? Comes from the Father of lights. And so anything that is good in anybody outside of Christ is also credited to God. It's also in reality about them benefiting from the common grace that God bestows upon all of his creatures and his creation to varying degrees. And so, in fact, the person outside of Christ is good to their wife in spite of Jesus, not because of Jesus, right? They're not giving glory to God for their goodness, in spite of the fact that they are demonstrating a goodness that comes from common grace. The rain falls on the ungodly and the unjust, and it falls on the just, But in fact, as Paul continues to write here, Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There is something distinctively different happening in the believer's life as we engage in this filling of the spirit life, this Christ being revealed in us. There is the fountain of spiritual youth being renewed in us while we may be getting old on the outside and looking decrepit and falling apart on the outside, on the inside is beating the heart and the physique of a very young person. Not in immature sense, but in vigor. And so that's the transformation that's taking place. That's the change that's taking place. And by feasting, therefore, on the... Fruit of the Holy Spirit, holy habits are developed through a morphed nature. We are being transformed. In Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, and and chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes this. For In verse 9, "...for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority." And then over in chapter 3, verse 1, "...since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." Because we are being transformed, because of what God has done in our lives, we are raised above the, the sinful fray and satanic influence In Paul writes to the Philippians, it says we are therefore capable of shining like stars in the universe as we become, in fact, blameless and pure. We aren't just doing good things by being filled with the Spirit. We are becoming good. There's a huge difference, therefore, between someone outside of Christ who does good things, and someone who's being filled by the Spirit and is actually being transformed by that same Spirit so that we're actually making progress morally in our lives. That, I think, is important as we consider the whole issue of filling and transformation. It's just not a behavioral adjustment. We actually are changing I want to look secondly with you tonight at, the, at filling and, and God's will. The Filling of the Spirit and its relationship to God's will. Um, the benefits of being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and, and, and uh, being transformed in our lives... Takes God's will beyond His recorded to knowing His unrevealed will as it relates to you. Most of us have um, have asked the question, "Well, how how do how is it?" Some people say, "You know, I, I just have a sense of what God wants me to do, or I'm I'm hearing what God wants me to do, and, and and I believe this is His will for my life." And what what is the staging that that is required for that to take place in your life? Because fundamentally, the only the only categorical uh, place where we can all agree on God's will is fundamentally in the scriptures. I mean, when God's will is when God lays something out in the scriptures, that's God's will. We know that. That's his recorded will. But but we also know that 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 we're in a relationship with God. We're in a vital living relationship with a living being. There's a the king of the universe and there's an interaction that takes place. There's there there's um there's his directing in our lives that goes beyond from God told me so in the scriptures to God has shown me so in my relationship with him in over in ephesians and i want I want to point out something to you in a couple of places in, in Ephesians uh, Paul is um, in this whole contrast between living as light, living the big life, living. Um, in, in contrast to darkness, what you formerly were before Christ, he, he writes in verse 10 that we ought to find out how to we, we ought to find out what the will of God is, how to please God. He says in verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. And, and then down in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And there's a connection there between the two. And then the whole idea is the finding out what pleases the Lord and the um, understanding the Lord's will followed up immediately by be filled with the Spirit. And uh, I think that, that Paul here is saying that that to find out what pleases the Lord and to understand fully the will of God... You must obey God and there's there's no disconnect between finding out what pleases God and understanding. The, The learning comes from the doing. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17, something to this very same point. If anyone chooses to do God's will he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Jesus was making the point that we we don't sit around and and wait somehow till God's will is proven to us. But in fact, by doing God's will, you understand God's will. You you learn what God's will is. You you learn to to fully comprehend what God wants for you. That's why when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said... uh, Present your bodies as living sacrifices, and and then he says a little bit more, and he says that you may be able to prove what God's will is, his good, perfect uh, uh, will. And so the, the idea is when you participate in the filling of the Spirit, when you participate in obedience to God, God takes you to another level of understanding of his will. I, I would suggest to you that, that when you are practicing the, the filling of the Spirit in your life by obeying God, He takes you into His confidence, into His inner circle, that you might know certain things. I think what Paul was saying that in, in the idea of that you might be able to know what the will of God is, His good... Perfect will. He was pointing out that there are regular occasions in your life where there are decisions to be made between two good things. And you can't, you can't find in the scriptures the answer as to what you should do about these two good things. So how am I going to make that decision? I would submit to you that, that because there is, the, the God does not want to ever disconnect His will and determining and understanding and fully understanding His will from obeying Him, that when you are in a state of constant obedience to God, when you're in a good filling of the Spirit kind of atmosphere with God, He takes you into His confidence to know His will and to know His direction for your life. So I can confidently at that point say... I'm convinced that God is leading me in terms of the decision between this and this, which are both moral and good and pleasing to God. I know this is the good one, the good of the good, the gooder of the good. For all you English scholars out there, teachers will be saying, kids, cover your ears, listen to that man. I, I also believe that in this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit, you're experiencing the meaning of Freedom by freely choosing the fruit of light. Otherwise, you remain captive to what God has already defeated on your behalf, the power of darkness. And then, of course, never outside of the intimacy of prayer, the deeply spiritual place where filling takes you. When you read through Ephesians and continue on into chapter 6, and from chapter 6 down to verse 10 and on, there's this whole idea of prayer. And so this whole package deal of the relationship between filling and knowing God's will, particularly His unrevealed will, where you have to make decisions in your life, there is a huge benefit to you to knowing that you are in a state of, being, of, of filling with the Spirit. You have confidence. Otherwise, you're not really having confidence. I, I would suggest it's very similar in this kind of prayer scenario with the filling of the Spirit... To the idea of a GPS, I just got one for Christmas. I just got this new toy and I just love the thing. I got this lady's voice on it that tells me what to do, which is you know par for, you know it's kind of normal life, but you put this GPS on, and uh, you plug in an address, and now I've become completely mindless. it's great. I just drive along and I listen to this lady say. Turn right one quarter of a mile. I love it. It's fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself that, that this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit and knowing the will of God and, God, and the GPS, God's positioning status, okay? When you are filled with the Spirit, you are GPS, you are God's position status, and, and then God's positioning system. In Isaiah chapter twenty thirty one, I think it is, it is there that, that we're told that, that when we are walking with God, we have this voice from behind us that says, don't turn to the left or turn to the right, walk this way. I think that's God's GPS thing. I think that's, that's what he's talking about in, in, in walking so closely with God, being filled with the Spirit, obeying the things of God, obeying the commands that you have the confidence to know that the voices that you're hearing is the voice of God to say, this, this is what I want you to do. And we all need that in our lives. Thirdly, I want to point out to you um, another practical aspect, I think, with with regard to God and, and filling of the Spirit, and that has to do with power. Uh, living beyond normal. There's got to be some um, difference between a Christian filled with the Spirit and and simply a good living person who's got a really disciplined life. There's got to be something beyond that. And, and I, I I believe there is in terms of the the presence and power of God in our lives. Disinterest, I believe, in the filling of the Holy Spirit places us in league with those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. If I am not, if I am not con- convicted and convinced that I should be a person who's, who's um, uh, obeying the command to be filled with the Spirit by obeying God's commands, then I'm walking around on any given day like everybody else. Except I'm saying, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm, I'm somehow giving everybody the idea there's a form of godliness in me, but, but I'm living with a denial of its power in my life. It's, it's not affecting my life. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3.5, where you'll read that, the injunction goes on to say, have nothing to do with people like that. So, I I think that uh, in the practical realities of people whose lives are filled with the Spirit, there should be something abnormal about us in the good sense of that, in the powerful sense of that. Before Martin Luther, before John Calvin, before the Reformation, shortly after the Dark Ages, in the late 1100s, and by the way, before the Reformation of the Church that that uh, addressed the, the the gross abuses of the Gospel of Grace, there was a man by the name of Francesco Bernardoni. He lived in Italia. He was later known as anybody know? Hmm. Saint Saint Francis. He was. Francesco Bernardoni of Azizi, Italia, for Giselle. How's my Italian tonight, Giselle? Is it just a little bit there? Yeah, there you go. St. Francis of Azizi was a man filled with God. There are many stories of of him. And I want to read a couple of them to you just because, you know... um, I think we settle for so little in our lives in terms of the power of God. And uh, this was a guy who didn't. It's written... A couple of neat stories are written of him. One was where he met a lady by the name of of Claire Favaroni. (laughs) And Claire... Claire was a a lady who was also filled with God. And... um, it, the, the story goes this way. Clare, who by this time had established the second order of the Franciscans, the poor Clares, as they were called, had often request, requested the opportunity to eat with Francis. But he had never granted her a request. Finally, some of the brothers urged him to consent, saying, Father, it seems to us that this strictness is not according to divine charity, especially considering that she gave up the riches and pomp of the world. She came from a very wealthy family. She gave up the riches and pomp of the world as a result of your preaching. In the end, Francis was persuaded, and so a meeting was arranged at the little church of St. Mary of the Angels. Francis had a meal prepared and spread on the ground, as was his custom. Meeting at the appointed hour, St. Francis and St. Clair, who were not saints then, sat down together and one of his companions with Claire's companion and all his other companions were grouped around that humble table. As they ate, Francis began to speak about God in such a sweet and holy and profound and divine and marvelous way that he himself and Claire and her companion and all the others who were at that poor little table were wrapped in God. In the meantime, the people of Azizi were horrified to see in the distance St. Mary of the Angels and the entire forest around it enveloped in flames. They rushed up the hill, hoping to put out the blaze before everything was lost. But upon arriving at that little church, they found nothing amiss. No church on fire. No forest ablaze. Nothing. Entering the church, they discovered Francis... Claire and the others, sitting around that very humble table, wrapped in God by contemplation and invested with power from on high. They then realized that the fire they had seen was not a material fire, but a spiritual blaze. Uh, the blaze they saw was to symbolize the fire of divine love which was burning in the souls of these simple servants of Christ. The end result of this astonishing event was that the people of Azizi returned home with great consolation in their hearts and with holy edification. Can you imagine if when we gathered together here, people around us were calling the fire department to come to Calvary Baptist Church because it looked like the, fi- the, the church was on fire because we were so wrapped in the worship of God. That's the demonstration of the presence of the Holy Spirit in, in the lives of these people of the past. And by the way, that's not really such an unusual event. A thousand years before that or so, there were groups of people huddled in an upper room. And it was there that the presence of God fell upon them and... And the place, there were like tongues of fire. And and later on in Acts chapter 4, it says they, they met together all filled with the Spirit. And the room where they met was shaken with the presence of God. Don't you long for that? It seems to me that the fruit of the filling of the Spirit has some palpable events to it of... Power from on high. And people notice that something is different about these people. I, I got wrapped, uh, wrapped myself in, in some of these Francis uh, Bernad- Bernadoni stories. And I, I got to tell you one more. His, perhaps his most famous story is the taming of the wool of Gubbio." You ever heard that story? It seems that a huge wolf had been terrorizing the citizens of Gubbio, killing several children. And the people were so traumatized that they would hardly venture out of their homes and certainly not beyond the town's boundaries. Hearing this, Francis immediately determined to find the wolf. He struck out on the road to the area where it was often found, his companions following along at a safe distance. Seeing them coming, the wolf charged at them, open-mouthed and menacing. Francis firmly and gently called out to him, Come to me, brother wolf, in the name of Christ. I order you not to hurt me or anyone. His companions, at first frightened, were astonished to see the wolf stop in its tracks, close its jaws, lower its head, and lie down at Francis' feet like a lamb. As it lay in front of him, Francis addressed the wolf, Brother wolf, you have done great harm in this region, and this whole town is your enemy, but... Brother Wolf, I want to make peace between you and them so that they will not be harmed by you anymore. He then proceeded to propose a peace pact between the wolf and the people of Gubbio. The wolf would promise not to terrorize and kill, and the people would promise to treat the wolf with courtesy and provide it with food. As the people watched in astonishment, the wolf showed by moving its body and tail and ears and by nodding its head that it willingly accepted what the saint had said and would observe it. And this, all the, uh, and th- at this, all the people shouted to the sky, praising and blessing the Lord Jesus Christ. In this dramatic act, the shalom of God descended upon that city. For we are told that from that day, the wolf and the people kept the pact which Francis had made. And the wolf lived two more years And it went from door to door for food. It hurt no one, and no one hurt it. The people fed it courteously, and it is a striking fact that not a single dog ever barked at it. Wow. Now, I thought about that story, and I thought, well, that's kind of, that's way too fanciful. Can't possibly be true. Until I opened my Bible to Daniel chapter 6. There's another place where snarling jaws of man-eating animals tasted of the shalom of God because of the powerful presence of a man of God by the name of Daniel who was in that line den. seems to me that the filling of the Spirit ought to make a significant difference in our lives. I just want to share one more thought with you. Well, actually, by the way, we I, I wanted to share with you a, sort of an interjection thought here. There are two kinds of fillings mentioned in the Scriptures. One is um, the word plero, which is, used a number of times, which is the, what we've been talking about in this series, or in this series of sermons, about being filled with the Spirit so that there is a progressive change in your life. And then there's another kind of filling. It's, and so when you're reading, reading in your scriptures, when it says this person was full, full of the Spirit or filled with the Spirit, there are two different possibilities. One is plero, the other is pimplemi. Pimplemi means also filled, and used for filled with the Spirit, but it is a reference more to um, um, the power of God for the declaration of um, proclamation of the truth. In other words, when Stephen was filled with the Spirit and proclaiming the truth, so that when someone is preaching the Word of God, there is a complaining, Filling of the Spirit. Doesn't necessarily mean the person is plero filled with the Spirit. Plero is that every day committing myself to obey the Lord and and being filled in a progressive way with the Spirit and being transformed. This other filling is particular for that responsibility that God gives some people to proclaim the truth. That's why we sometimes find ourselves astonished at, at how someone could proclaim the truth of God with such passion and power and then go out and fall into immorality. Because unless you have both Pimplemi and playro, it is highly possible for you to simply be filled for a purpose but not filled in the sense of transforming, changing work in your life. And so it is um, that distinction that we need to make in terms of, of being filled with the Spirit. Well, as I said, I wanted to share one more thing with you tonight. And that is the filling of the Spirit and the gifts or fruit of the Spirit and other visible manifestations and how they relate to each other. I just want to clear up a couple of things, because in, in a sense I was sort of imagining what questions some of you might like to ask if we had a question and answer time. And uh, so some of these, these four things I picked tonight were, were possibilities. And this one, of course, is one I'm sure is, is uh, at times uh, part of the reason why we are confused at the whole idea of being filled with the Spirit, Let me just say this, that the gifts of the Spirit are not evidence or signs of the filling of the Spirit. Okay? I want to say that again. The gifts of the Spirit are not evidence of the filling of the Spirit. Or signs of the filling of the Spirit. Although effectiveness in carrying out our gifts is related to the filling of the Spirit, the more we are filled with the Spirit, obviously the more we are going to carry forth the gift gift or gifts that Christ has given us just by nature of being people who are submissive and obedient and yielding to God. But the gifts are no evidence or sign that one is filled with the Spirit. Because the gifts of the Spirit, for instance, are not commanded. Anyone, nowhere in the Scripture does it say you must... Go get a gift of the Spirit. But it does say you must be filled with the Spirit. So we're not commanded, but filling we are commanded. Nor are gifts limited only to some. Although they are discriminate. every believer has been given a gift or gifts. But not every believer is benefiting from or practicing the filling of the Spirit. So you can have your gift, but you may not be practicing the filling of the Spirit. You receive those gifts at salvation. What you do after salvation is the work of the filling of the Spirit. As well The gifts of the Spirit do not announce any special spiritual condition other than they appear to coincide with salvation. So that someone is very gifted from God does not necessarily mean they are practicing the filling of the Spirit. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that gifts can be people or special, powerful, spiritual, powerful abilities to carry forth the work of God, to build up the church. That's the purpose of gifts, that that we would build up the church of Jesus Christ. It would follow, and it does follow, it is true, that, for instance, a pastor or a teacher may not have some of the gifts. But it's, I think, readily apparent to all of you that it's pretty important that a pastor or teacher is practicing obedience to God and is being filled with the Spirit. If any gifts were, in fact, a sign of the filling of the Spirit, then definitely we would want our pastors or our teachers to have that gift. Right? But in fact... And I think we ought to look here because you're you're looking at me and I want to make sure you see it. But in fact in terms of the gifts of the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for example, Paul says to um, the Corinthian church, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? He, He makes the point that gifts are discriminately distributed. See, some people have tried to suggest that The evidence of the filling of the Spirit in a person's life is demonstrated by a manifestation of certain sign gifts. And unless you manifest those certain sign gifts, you aren't filled with the Spirit. A couple of years ago, Pastor Steve and Deb and John and Lori and Lynn and I went to a pastor's conference at Brooklyn Tabernacle in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And um, we were all sitting in a long row, and I was sitting... Everybody was sitting beside a Calvary person except for me. I was sitting beside a Brooklyn Tabernacle person. And she, it became obvious that I wasn't from Brooklyn Tabernacle for a number of reasons. (laughs) And so she says to me, where are you from? And I said, "Uh, well, we're from up near Toronto. Oh, that's, that's great. So she says, "Um, and what's the name of your church? And I said, Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa, Ontario. And so she looks at me and says, do you speak in tongues? And I said, no, I don't. And she says, oh. And we didn't converse anymore. And I, I was trying to think, what is going on in her mind right now? She is thinking, too bad, he's not filled with the Spirit like I am. And, and it's it's sad, actually, because I was really enjoying the worship there, just like she was. And I felt like um, I was really connecting with God just like she was. And it was disappointing that there was this disconnect between us over really a misunderstanding of Scripture and not anything to do with the Spirit at all. We are filled with the Spirit when we are people who are obeying the commands of God. That's filling with the Spirit. The gifts are this amazing thing that Jesus has given to us to facilitate our ability to participate in the building up of the church. And God bless her heart, her theology and understanding diminished the church at that moment. And that's sad. I will say this, though. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is directly related to the filling of the Spirit and is a valid assessment tool for filling. What she should have really said to me is, are you patient and loving and kind? To which I would have had to say... (laughs) (laughs) You should ask my wife. Every so often, I am. It's an amazing thing, you know, that God has given to us by placing the Spirit of God in us and the fullness of God and inviting us to take advantage of all of the features of God and all He asks us to do is believe by faith that what He tells us to do is what we must do, and the results will be fantastic. Our Father and our God, thank you for this study we've had over this last couple of weeks. For this, we we have just skimmed the surface of the deep realities of the Holy Spirit, and Father, I, I pray that that. Um, That what we have done is is helped all of us here to reassess our own hearts and our own relationship with you and assess where we're at in this whole live big thing that you want us to have. And and I do pray, Father, that as we as, as Steve already mentioned tonight, as we as a new week dawns upon us, as we connect Last week with this coming week, and Sunday is that beautiful hinge that does that, I pray Father that we might go from here with a real resolve that by your power and strength, we resolve to do the will of God and in the doing, experience the becoming like Christ I pray, Father, that we will not make this complicated or mysterious or somehow a manifestation of something spectacular that we're waiting for. What are we waiting for? You've given us everything. It's now up to us to do it. By faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.